Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church on this beautiful, beautiful summer day. Um, Good to see everyone. My name is Mike. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. Whether you're hearing me live here in beautiful uh, Catanning Metropolis um, or if you're in uh, Palatial, Petrolia Valley. I don't even know what Palatial means, but it sounded good, didn't you? Incredible Indiana or fabulous Freeport. Or in the junky old jail, <laughs> wherever you happen to be listening, welcome. Uh, for the summer, we are going to have a series on the parables of Jesus. Now, there's many parables of Jesus. We're, we're just going to go through till we run out of summer days, and then we're going to stop doing parables. So hopefully we'll hit your favorite parable on the way, or ones you hadn't thought of before. Parables are stories. Everyone loves a story. If you ever want to get anyone's attention, say, hey, can I tell you a story? You'll have their attention. I prepare, I warn you, you need to have a story for after you say that. You can't just say, hey, do you want to hear a story? They go, yeah, and you go, I don't have one. (laughs) That's not so good. But Jesus would tell stories. Um, And parables are stories Jesus made up to hold as a, a truth, an eternal truth like a container. Even truths that were hidden from the beginning of the world, the Bible says. He, he, truths that were hidden from the beginning of the world are hidden in parables. That's what the Bible says. And so, wouldn't you like to find those truths? So, we're going to start this, this series with uh, one that's called the parable of the seeds. There's a lot of parable of seeds in it, but uh, nevertheless, this is, this is it. So, we're Matthew chapter 13 Um, We have a lot of verses, 1 to 23, but they'll go fast. You'll see why in a minute. So if you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 13. If you have a smartphone, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13 (laughs) Uh, in the English Standard Version. Ready? That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him. So he got in the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. See, so many that he's in the boat, they're there. Of these crowds, is not all a unified, they're not a unified group. He's got his, his big 12, right, the apostles, and he's got a lot of very close disciples, men and women, who are on his team. If they, they have t-shirts that say, Team Jesus, much like mine, has an angry monkey on it. <laughs> they had ones that said, Team Jesus, no angry monkey, and And then there's a lot of others who are inquisitive and a lot of critics. There's a lot of critics in the crowd by this point. He has his own trolls on social media, and there they are right in front of him. So he told them many things in parables, and this is one, saying, a sower went out to sow. For us, a farmer went out to plant, okay? Uh, The Bible maintains that old English word sow, I think out of tradition for older English translations. We don't normally... I don't know, do any farmers of our uh, rural counties say, I'm going to go sow today? Maybe they do, I don't know. But that's the, uh, a farmer went out to plant, um, is really what that is. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. They didn't have the nice machines we have, so they would, that's how you do it. Um, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Happily, I'm sure. It doesn't say happily, but birds, I guess birds are happy. I uh, feed Purina food to my dogs, as I told you last week, um, and these black birds come and eat them, and my dogs won't stop them. So sometimes I, I have to admit, I will not feed my dogs for a day and say, that's what you get for not chasing those birds off, but <laughs> birds like to devour things. Verse 5, other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up, but they had no depth. When the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Um, And other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain. Some hundred, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears, let him hear. Now, if you have ever kept a garden, this, none of this stuff is new, is it? I mean, if you've ever kept a garden and, or even taught children, some of you have done that, how, how to plant seeds and whatnot, 
You let the weeds grow up, it kills it. If it doesn't have room for weed, for, to, for its roots, it's going to die. So these people heard this parable, and they're like, okay. Now he began that. He, yeah, I mean, if it, this, is the, this is the great rabbi. He just told you a lesson. What's it mean? Jesus is going to interpret this one for us. Very often when you read the parables, Jesus doesn't interpret it for you. It's a, it's a you have to figure this one out situation. In this case, he's going to interpret it for us. He doesn't always. But before he does, he does a teaching about parables themselves. And we would be wise to pay very close attention to this part. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? They're actually, it's a little bit of a, hey, you, you tell us everything plainly. If we don't know what you're talking about, we say, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. And then you explain things to us. You give us inside baseball. <laughs> you seem to be able, that clear with everybody when you first started this ministry. But recently, you're only telling them things in stories. They're walking away going, what was that all about? Why is that, Jesus? That's what, that's what the question is. He said to him, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is a Bernie Sanders nightmare, right? <laughs> Take from the poor and give to the rich. And that's the way it goes. It says, the one who has, more will be given, but, but the one who doesn't, even what he has is taken. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because in some heavenly way, those who are rich in the word of God get more. Those who are poor get less. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed, and this is a quote, right? The prophecy says, so he's quoting a prophet. Isaiah spoke about 700 years before that moment that Jesus is talking. And so he's telling them, you're seeing a fulfillment of a prophecy. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So, wow, what do you make of that? That seems so not American. <laughs> seems so not fair to play like this on the playground. It seems so, this isn't the way my mommy taught me. These people, I'm going to tell them things. They're going to hear, they're not going to understand, and because of that, they're not going to believe and they're going to be punished. Now, a couple things to note is, one, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy to a certain people. The leaders of the Jews, by this point, had accused Jesus of being Satan. Now, don't think the New Testament is anti-Jewish. It's not. All the followers of Jesus, just about, are also Jews. But the leaders, as a nation have all by this point already rejected Christ. So this portion of his ministry, he is telling them truths to their face and they cannot hear him. It's like giving someone the combination to a safe right to their face, but they don't even know it. Here's our, our map that tries to capture this strange truth. It says the secrets or the truths of the kingdom are given plainly to the disciples of Jesus. But those who refuse to believe are told the truth in stories so that they can become less curious and diminish in understanding. So they will know less. You know, parables, we think, Jesus tells parables to make things clear. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't. He tells parables to hide truths. He can say stuff right out loud or he can hide it in a story. He hides these things in plain sight from those who won't listen. Those of us who do listen, though, 
what you have is a very portable, convenient way to remember secrets of the kingdom. By secrets, it means knowledge you cannot find anywhere except from God revealing. If Jesus doesn't step on the earth and open his mouth, the knowledge can't be found. You won't find it in science, literature, philosophy, history, whatever. Jesus has to tell it to you. And those secrets are revealed and kept in that nice container of a story that's easy to remember. Right? Seeds fell in four different ways. That's why he talks to them in parables, he says. (laughs) For those who reject Christ, parables take the truth away. It's a very interesting thing. Because we're going to preach through parables here at Harvest Community Church this summer. And the same dynamic is going to work. You don't have to be a Jew in the first century for this to work on you. If your heart is right, you're going to get secrets of the kingdom. If your heart is not right, you can hear, and what you have can be taken away. This reminds me of the magician's nephew. If you have children, I would recommend you read to them, and, um, and I'd especially recommend if there's a father around that he read to them. It's a good way to bond with the kids. And, um, and, and always be challenging them to sit and listen as soon as they're old enough. Little dudes can't. Um, really little. And I'd read to them the Chronicles of Nargia, Nargia, Nar- Narnia, wherever the place is. My favorite is Magician's Nephew. And uh, in it, there's the, the, Aslan creates a brand new world. And you get to see a world be created. Aslan's a great big lion, by the way. He, he creates a world, and it's kind of like Genesis visually, by singing a song. Whoa! This great lion just like sings a note, and the music fills the ground, and things just start to grow, and animals come out of the ground, and, and it's kind of an imaginary way that maybe could have been like when God created the earth, but uh, it's kind of cool. And these little kids from earth are there with their evil uncle, Andrew. And the evil uncle, Andrew, because he's evil, talks himself into thinking, That cannot be a lion singing because lions don't sing. It's actually a growling lion. It's going to eat me. So even though he hears the same thing, he doesn't hear the same thing. Finally, when when the lion is ready to deal with the children and, and, and the uncle and put them in their place in the world, little girl comes and says, please, Aslan, could you say something to Uncle Andrew to unfrighten him? He, he thinks that this world is a wonderful place or whatever. And Aslan answers, what he thinks is great folly, child. Aslan says, this world is bursting with life for these few days because the song with which I called it to life still hangs in the air. It rumbles in the ground. It won't be that way for long. But I can... Cannot tell that to this old sinner. I cannot comfort him either. He has made himself unable to hear my voice. If I spoke to him, he would only hear growling and roaring. Oh, how Adam, sons, so cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. And that's, that's true to this day. People who hear the gospel know the gospel and and they just convince themselves it's not true. Jesus is nothing to be afraid of or respect. It's just not true. And then Jesus goes on and says this about parables. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Is he talking about me? Is he talking about you? Blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they don't see it. To hear what you hear, and they don't hear it. (laughs) So he goes another direction. He says, there's unrighteous people. I'm talking to you. You're understanding the secrets, because I'll explain them to you if, if you don't. They don't get it. But if you go back in time, there's a lot of righteous people who are dead now who wished they could hear me talk to them, and you do get to hear me talk to them. Blessed are you. Sometimes we need to be instructed to be grateful because we don't know we should be. We should teach our children to be thankful. You do not wait for your children to be thankful. There is the rare moment when a child is actually personally, of their own volition, thankful. 
You get like one of those moments every 10 or 11 years out of a child, which means you get one. The rest of the time you have to say, it is Mother's Day. We are buying a card because we are thankful that we have a mommy. You teach them. Here Jesus is teaching his apostles and his close disciples to be thankful. Don't you take for granted. You are lucky to hear me talk. And again, let's try to summarize that in our map. He says, all the truths that God put into the Old Testament are enough to fill the imagination of man for thousands of years. But what God kept hidden in times past is or are. I have is. Is that correct? Or are. Any, any gram- grammarians out there? Is it is? Is is correct? No, R is correct. Is is correct. Because the noun is... The subject... Forget it. Is is R or is correct? Okay, we'll go with that. So then I got it right without knowing. But what God kept hidden in times past is the greatest truth of all. So that is God has become a man and walked among us so he could lay down his life for sinners. What what Jesus is saying is, look, Elijah, the great prophet who is greater than me, right? I was going to say greater than you, but I don't want to be presumptuous. A couple of you may outshine Elijah if the two of you were next to each other. I don't know. Isaiah, the great prophet, who who was actually quoted by Jesus just a second ago. He's the one who said your eyes can't see and whatnot. Who was sawn in half for the faith. He didn't get to hear the truths that Jesus shares with any old bumpkin Christian who comes along. It's a matter of timing. And the time was right for the world to know who God is. A lot of people get confused about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. I will even hear people, especially people who aren't Christians, but once in a while Christians say, the God of the Old Testament seems this way, and the God of the New Testament seems this way. The response is, it's the same God, both Testaments. But in the Old Testament, you see so much less. uh, Revelation, or the revealing of knowledge, right? That's what the Bible is. It's a revealing. It's a revelation. That's different than something you can discover. Are you with me on that? You can discover, if there's a diamond hidden in your backyard, it may take you a while, but you can discover it. It's there. But when it comes to knowledge in someone's brain, if they don't tell you, you'll never know. You'll never know the knowledge of God unless he tells you. And and if you look from Genesis on, you'll see he starts giving very little data about himself. Very little data about his plan for the world. He gives a lot, but very little compared to the amount. It's like it's darkness and a little light slivers out in Genesis and Exodus and and, and, and on through. And then you get into the Psalms and more light comes. You get into the prophet and more light comes. But still, none of them got to see the ultimate salvation of God. Because when Jesus comes, the light just goes wide open. It's a time of revelation. It's a time of knowing all that we need to know. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. What we can declare openly was hidden for thousands of years from mankind. And, and he's saying, look, I'm putting these secrets in a portable form for you. I'm putting them right into parables. And I'll tell you what they mean. How lucky you are. Well, if they're lucky, are we? Sure we are. So, with that, as his setup for this parable, and really our setup for all our parables this summer, let's dive into what this one means. And again, thankfully, Jesus tells us. So I don't have to work too hard as a, as a pastor this, this week because <laughs> he, he tells us what it, what it means. So let's, let's look in. Here then, he says, the parable of the sower. I'm in verse 18. Verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown among the path. This is the birds. Remember the birds came? So the seed, what is the seed? It's the word of God. If Jesus speaks, it's the word of God. 
He says, the only things I speak are what I hear from my Father. He is the revelation of God. He, he is the authoritative voice. Not just all the way through the Old Testament, definitely through the New Testament. He's the Word. So that seed that's being thrown is, is the Word. Well, what is the soils then? Or the grounds? People. That's people. So if it lands on the road and birds eat it, he says, what happens is they don't understand it. The first group of people are the most pathetic. They don't think the gospel is worth their time to consider. Real birds don't come and steal it out of their head. They're like, I don't care. This is crud. Who cares? It's not worth my time. Can I just explain to you how Christ died for your sins? You can explain anything you want. I once went, there was a dear lady named Mildred at First Baptist Church in New Jersey. And um, her brother who was a forever bachelor and lived with her, um, was going to die. And it was pretty sure he's going to die soon. And she's like, Pastor Mike, could you come over and share the good news of Jesus with my brother? He's going to die. No, well, it's a little late, but let's get started. So I go over, I go into his little room. He's sitting on the edge of his bed, and he looks like someone who's going to die. He really did. People don't always, you never know who's going to die and who isn't, but he did look close to the edge. And I, and I said, well, your sister really loves you? He's like, yeah. And I said, James, can I share the good news of Christ with you? Can I? And uh, he said, yeah, no, you don't have to. I said, what? He goes, I never had time for him or any of that stuff for 80 years. I don't know why I'm going to start now. And I was a young, a new pastor, and I was like, Huh, what do I do now? <laughs> Is there a rule book for when someone answers that way? So I said, well, can I pray for you? And I, Whatever. And I did. And I prayed the entire story of Jesus. <laughs> I prayed, you know, Jesus, born of a virgin, grew up, loved, you know. I did. I prayed the whole thing. And he didn't seem to care. I got the call. Next morning, he's dead. Could you come over? Normally, when I come over, the body's gone. This time, he wasn't. He was just there. I'm like, what the heck? I don't, I don't do this part. But I, I'll never forget it because his mouth was open. I guess if we die, our mouths get caught open. He didn't have any teeth. And it just looked like a black cavern. And his eyes did not look peaceful or not peaceful it just looked miserable and um that's the word thrown on you throw it out there's like i just don't care and satan says good i'll take that and that's what happens (laughs) heart's too hard to hear the message okay here's the next one jesus says as for that which was sown on rocky ground This is the one who hears the word, and he immediately receives it with joy. This is good news. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is something, and you tell someone, Christ died for your sins. This is good news for me. I like this. This is a person who goes to the concert event, whatever, and answers the altar call with you or or at the church. And he's like, I like this. I like this Jesus thing. Why didn't you tell me before? This is kind of awesome. A lot of nice people. And and look, there's cookies. and, And this is good. This is good. But it says he has no root in himself. Right? There's no internal reception. Right? There's no internalization, to use a psychological word, of what he's learned. He doesn't internalize it. It, it. it never gets from head to heart. It never integrates with everything he does. And I think there are people that I've known, and it's just my own guess, who they can go decades like this. They can go to church, they can leave church, and they never integrate Christ with their work life, their personal life, nothing (laughs) and when external in this case when external pressure comes it's really easy for him to let it go you believe that you know those people they're a little wacky and they 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 you know they believe this they don't believe that 
this is going to interfere with your life. And he's like, well, then forget it. I don't want that. I remember after uh, 9-11, for you youngins, <laughs> that's when um, some nefarious Muslim dudes took some planes and flew them into two things we used to call Twin Towers, which are no longer in New York City. And it was a pretty shocking time, and I lived in New Jersey, and everyone started going to church. Everyone started believing God when that happened. I remember driving down this road. I'd always have to drive if you're, it's very urban, so you pass all businesses, including the strip club and all the time. And, and on the strip club marquee, it said, God bless America. I'm like, even the strip club owner is getting religion. Or... And this one lady came and met me on the lawn uh, outside the church once and said, we really need God for our nation. Yes. I don't know why I didn't know it. So she starts coming to church. She comes like three weeks until she realizes that what's being taught, and she came and told me, this doesn't go with the stuff like out there. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, I don't need this. And away she went. She's just like one who the word falls, and, and if it's convenient, fine. But if there's external pressure, No. As for the one sown in the thorns, this is the one, this one almost makes it. It has good soil. First two didn't have much. This one almost makes it. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The first one, he didn't have it internally, the one before, and the external things made him let go. This one... (laughs) The external things are what he wants. He, I got it. I understand the word. I understand it's supposed to be all of my life. I got it. All right? I understand what you say, Jesus. I know what you say is true. But you know what I want? I want the pleasures this world gives. I want to value things the way I've always valued them. You say, all things are yours and give it all up and be generous. Are you kidding me? I'm buying stuff, baby. And you're saying... That what? I can only have sex with one person. I have to be married. It has to be the other sex. Those are all the restrictions? No way. You know, I'd rather have riches, sex, money, all those stuff in whatever I want. I really, really, it's not that you're not awesome, Jesus. You're just not as awesome as this stuff. It's a devaluing of the one because you value what the world gives. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever talked to people who had made some sort of commitment or they once were at church? I remember going to college. I got saved not at, in, in, I just made a horrible sentence because I, <laughs> I have a time in my life with no descriptor. Let me start this over. When I converted to Christ, it was not in a traditional way. There was no family leading me, no Bible club leading me. I wasn't in the childhood version of life. I was two years out of the house. I was a young man living on my own, decided, go to college, don't be a loser. Now that you're, not, now that you're living for something meaningful, go at least go to college. So I went to college, and I was so excited to meet Christians at a little Christian club in college. And I would always join whatever Christian clubs were around in college. And they were awesome. Uh, college students, when they get saved, what a great age. It's just exciting. And, um, but one thing I noticed every fall, every year, uh, and I was at Penn State five years. It, because if you work really hard, you can get all four years into five there. <laughs> and I did that. And I am not kidding you, every fall, I remember seeing some church kids who were freshmen coming to college for the first time, and because of habit growing up, they'd go to church, so they'd come to Christian club, whatever, and by October, they were gone. They were gone. Because, you know why? Because even though they said to mommy and daddy, I really love Jesus, he wasn't near as interesting as keg parties and free sex. And maybe you talk to somebody and you think, and you're trying to tell them, <laughs> come back to Jesus. And, and they're, they're just thinking, Jesus isn't fun. That's these people. The deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. 
They like the values of running after the world things. They don't want Jesus. Then finally, the final seeds, as, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, another thirty. At this point, if I were in the room with Jesus, I'd have asked, can I have a follow-up question? Could you describe what it is to yield fruit a hundred, sixty, and thirty-fold? <laughs> you're, still, you're still in the parable on that one, Jesus. Can we get out of the metaphorical language? <laughs> but he doesn't really explain to us what it means to bear fruit, what it means to yield. Uh, you almost have to guess, but it's still a human being hears the word, and this time it falls on the good soil. There's no birds picking it up. It's, it's got place to root, and it has no thorns to stop it. So the guy hears it, it could be a gal, understands it, thinks about it, realizes the value of what's being given, realizes the commitment, and says, yep, let her in. And then he bears fruit. Now, we're going to have to guess what bears fruit is. I don't think we're in the dark, though the Bible tells us, but that's not the only thing that tells us. You know what tells us? Lives tell us. Lives tell us. Change if you, a lot of people say they're Christians. Can I tell you something that's true? If you get Jesus and you get him right, you will change. I've never seen anyone who got Jesus and stayed the same. You will change. That's how you know. <laughs> Something changes. You're not the same. And, and I know that's true in my life. <laughs> and and I, you're just going to have to take my word for it. I can't take you back in time. I could bring people to testify for me. You know <laughs> And some of it might be embarrassing. Um, some of the fruit we know we get from the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The one who receives the word of God receives Jesus himself. All right, that's the parable. That's the parable. Now, what we want to end with is a little reflection on the parable. So let's go back to our map. <laughs> And here's, here's, I only have two reflections, really. Two observations. One, words matter. That's it, words matter. Now, I put a parenthesis to explain what I mean. But words are very important. The way to know God is not to do something, but to hear something. In other words, words matter. What makes Christianity different from any other path, from any other religion, from Zoroastrianism? <laughs> Did you know that was a religion? <laughs> I like that one because it's fun to say. Um, from Hinduism, from Buddhism, uh, now the new thing is spiritualism. That's, that's a thing now. Because I guess so many people, you say, hey, are you a Christian? Well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And so, so what's the difference between spiritualism and Christianity? Well, Christianity done right, every other religion, every single one, you have to do something to win the favor of the deity and to cleanse your soul, whether they use that language or not. It could be meditation, so you can get to, if you sit every day and meditate, you can get into the perfect essence of the now, and you can realize that all things are an illusion or whatever, but you have to do that. To get to that state of whatever so you can please the deity or the eternal spirit or whatever's happening. On the more traditional religions, Islam, let's say you're not the type of Islam that blows stuff up because most of them don't blow stuff up. Well, you still got to make a trip to Mecca. You still got to pray to the east five times a day. You still got to fast at Ramadan. That's one of the negative things when Christians add too many traditions to our church throughout history. You, you give people the wrong impression that being a Christian means doing something to please the deity. It doesn't. Even non-religious moral systems like Ayn Rand's objectivism or the modern atheism, they like to say, well, I can be good without a deity. Okay, well, you have to do something. You have to form a little... A little construct of philosophy that makes you good and moral. To please the non-deity and be a good person. What Jesus is saying in this parable 
is you hear something and fruit grows. Fruit grows. It's a very passive thing for a tree. If you got a fruit tree in your yard and you go out there and you say, tree, looking for a lot of apples this year. How about you squeeze out a few more? Tree's like, I don't know if you know how this works, but I just stand like this and that's it. Well, you don't have as many apples as last year. Stinks to be me, I guess. I just stand here. Right? If you have a Christmas tree, well, people put gifts under those. You can do something if, if you have a Christmas tree. Right? If there's not enough gifts. Well, let's put some under there. But an apple tree just stands there. The, the picture God is giving is the word is planted, you grow. Words are powerful things. You hear the message and something changes. Well, don't you have to do something to hear? Well, you have to listen. <laughs> you, you have to let it in, I guess. I don't know. You have to believe. You have to sit up straight. You know, you're told from childhood, sit up straight, pay attention. And that's such a good habit. I don't care how boring the meeting is. There's some sort of spiritual advantage to learn the discipline to sit up straight and pay attention to your really boring teacher or boss or whatever. Because it gets you in the habit of sitting up straight and listening when God talks. I want to show you this in the scripture so you know I'm not just stretching this parable beyond what it allows. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. Here's a theological explanation of the mechanical dynamic Jesus gave. Mechanically, Jesus said, I throw out the seed and you hear it. (laughs) That's how it works. Paul says, well, let me explain to that to you theologically. When you hear the words of Christ, faith comes to you. Faith comes to me. It's not something I do. No, it's something that comes to you, comes to me. What is faith? The ability to trust that everything God says is true, everything Jesus says is true, and therefore I should put my trust in him. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. The word faith in Greek means trust. So where does it come from? Hearing. And hearing from the word of Christ. Galatians 3.2. Once again in the Bible. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? This is the Spirit of God. There's one God, but he has three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because the Bible always says there's one God. It's a monotheistic book from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. Nevertheless, it shows three different persons who do God things. It shows the Father at creation. It shows that all things are created by and for the Son. And it shows that the Spirit creates. It shows that the Father judges, the Son judges, the Spirit judges. All three think, all three act, all three have emotions, and all three have unique attributes that only God has. That's how we know this mystery. There's one God, three persons. One of those persons is the Holy Spirit. And here is the question from Paul to you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law? That means by doing something religious. Is that how you got the Holy Spirit? You prayed your rosary beads? Is that how you got the Holy Spirit? You showed up to the Baptist Sunday school and got the little thing said perfect attendance and you memorized your verses? Is that how you got the Holy Spirit? Or by hearing with faith? The answer is, it's a rhetorical question. If you say, the first one, Paul's going to roll his eyes and goes, aren't you paying attention? You didn't get it by the first one, dummy. (laughs) You got the Holy Spirit by hearing. This is a much different religion. Can you see the pressure's off, isn't it? This is my kind of religion. Some Christians today say, shut up and serve. They see the good deeds Jesus did and think salvation can't be salvation if you're not out doing good deeds. In a a way, there's some truth in what they say. 
Some Christians wrongly think, because we're saved by hearing, that there's no doing. But as I said, if you, if you hear, if you have good soil, you're going to produce fruit and you're going to move. If you have Christ in you, you will change what your mouth says, you will change what your little hands do, where your little feet go, what your little eyes see. You know, it changes you. You should be doing good deeds. But there are some who say, Christians should shut up and just do good deeds. And it's going to reach the world. That will reach nobody. Salvation comes by words being spoken, heard, and believed. There's not another method. There's not another method. You must speak words, they must be heard, and they must be believed. They're very portable. You don't have to get someone to read a Bible. It'd be good if you could, because then they're hearing words by reading them. But you can tell them what the words say. It works. God will speak through that. But there must be words. Salvation comes by words being declared. This also takes the pressure off of you, by the way. Some of you like to declare the good news of Jesus to people, and they don't seem to listen, especially family. Well, that's because family don't listen. (laughs) But you know what? You're not responsible for the soil it falls onto. But I want to ask, are you saved today? You know what the message is that saves? That Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth without sin. He went to a cross because you are going to be punished for your sin. Because God is angry at your sin. Though he loves you, he will punish you eternally for sin. Instead, he poured out all his anger on his son who was perfect, who died as a substitute for you. And then Jesus rose again on the third day. By doing so, he broke the power of sin in the lives of any who will follow him. Any who will, let me not change the words, believe in him. Have you believed in Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? And believing doesn't mean acknowledging that it's so. The guy who has the seed that doesn't have any root acknowledges that it's so. In fact, he likes the story. But he doesn't trust in it. doesn't trust in it. (laughs) Well, I ain't trusting that for my salvation. Do you believe that? Jesus is the Son of God? God loves you and sent him to die for your sins? How's that sound? Does that sound like good news to you? Then believe it. Change your mind. The word repent. Repent and believe is what the Bible says. The word repent, metanoia, means change your mind. Change your mind about you thinking you know how to run your own life, turning away from sin, change your mind, and believe in Christ. I have good news. God loves you. He has good intentions for you. The Bible says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see the difference between Christianity and every other religion? The difference between Christianity and Christianity, because a lot of Christians throughout the ages of all denominations and stripes get this wrong and try to make it look like a certain behavior makes you a Christian. A certain way of praying makes you a Christian. It doesn't. The one who does not do those things, but believes in him who justifies ungodly scumbags. His faith is counted as righteous. I qualify to be saved, Jesus, because I'm ungodly. Not because I prayed the prayers, went to church, spent hours on my knees. Not because I sat cross-legged on the floor and went, oh, for hours made a pilgrimage to Mecca never ate a lobster not because I did any of those things I'm qualified because I'm ungodly and you justify ungodly people this is Romans chapter 4 verse 5 Bible my faith is counted as righteousness where did I get my faith faith comes by hearing 
It was given to me. I heard the word. I believed. This is the word of God. Jesus prayed to the Father on the night he died, and he said this about his disciples. I have given them the words that you gave me. I spent three years with them, and you know what I did for three years? I gave them words. Just words? Yes. And it ain't fake news. I gave them the truth. They receive them by virtue of receiving words. Think the sower went out to sow. By virtue of receiving words, they came to know the truth that I came from heaven. I came from you. And they have believed. Question, do you want religion or Jesus? Which one do you want? And I mean that seriously. There are people who would rather have religion. They say, well, I got my own religion. I don't need Jesus. <laughs> I, don't, I got my own religion. I don't need Jesus. Fine, go. You will die in your sins. You might be, well, I have my Christian religion. My church says it differently. And I don't need salvation by faith. Fine, go. You will die in your sins. How do I know this? Because Jesus says these haunting words in 824. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that he did the things he came to do, the Lamb of God who came to take away your sins, then you will die in your sins no matter how good you've been. You say, well, I've been good. I've been better than my brother and he's one of those evangelical whack jobs. I don't know why he thinks he's going to heaven. Well, do you think your brother's a scum? Yeah. Well, Jesus is in the habit of saving scum, not good people. And if that offends you, you need to humble yourself. That's the whole, that's why the Pharisees were mad. Jesus hung out with the wrong people. He, he actually thought scum were worthy of his time when they were perfectly fine, godly priests he could hang out with. We are saved by faith. Faith comes from hearing. Do you want to be saved? You can be. You've heard me tell you that Jesus died for your sins. Just believe it. Let go. All right, the final point, and this one doesn't take long, is that the word of God is powerful. I know that that is said and taken for granted, but we need to observe it in this. The problem in the parable is never the seed. It's never the seed. It's the ground. <laughs> it's the soil. The matter is, well, this one fell on a, on a road. This one fell where there was no depth. This one fell in thorns, and this one fell on good soil. But the seed will always accomplish what it needs. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, piercing, it can pierce soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible says the Word of God is like a hammer that breaks a rock. It's like a consuming fire. The Word of God is powerful. When you share the gospel with someone... And you do your best, stumbling though it may be, and you may be uncomfortable because they're emotionally repelling you, do not think it was ineffective. That word may grow later, or it may never grow at all, but it wasn't because there was a problem with the word. Now, you may be thinking I'm just talking about salvation, but this dynamic, this arrangement where you receive the word of God onto good soil doesn't end when you get saved. It begins. It begins. The Christian life, if the word of God brought you life, what do you think grows you? What do you think sustains you? It's your Bible. Do you ever open it? Do you ever open it? Or do you just wait till you come here? Open it. Read it. Learn it. And then when you do, though... It's got to fall on good soil. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you read if you don't understand it. 
You can be a Christian and, and still be like the foolish lost person who let the bird snatch the word because they wouldn't take the time to think on it. I don't care if you read eight chapters, if you didn't understand them, read one paragraph and think about it. And then don't be in a hurry. <laughs> Change the way you think. Don't be afraid of what others think on the outside. Don't be afraid of what you lose. Don't be, always have the good soil because the word is always powerful. Listen to the pattern that should be in your life and mine. Jesus said this in John 8, 31 and 32. Listen. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. These are the ones who said, we're on your team. They got the Team Jesus t-shirts, right? That'd be you, right? Hopefully, we go back 2,000 years, you're there in your Team Jesus t-shirt, right? If you live in my word, that's where abide means. If you make your home in my word, you take your trailer and you park it in my words RV park. If you go into this mansion of my word and bring your, your, your clothes, because you're going to live there, that's abide. If you abide in my word, you really are my disciple. That's what he's saying. You're truly my disciple. You're not just some dude who thought it was good. And then you run away. And then you will, on an ongoing basis, continually know the truth. You won't know everything now that you'll need. You'll need some truth in a year that you don't need now. But in a year, you'll know it because you abide in my word. And you know what that truth's going to do for you? It's going to set you free. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Constantly putting the word in, abiding in it, and letting it grow. As we continue in the parables, this parable, the one next week and the next week and the next week. And if you go on vacation, you can listen to them online. Let, let's just be good fields. Have you ever been asked to be a good field? Be a good manure-covered, well-tilled field. Because that's what's going to grow stuff. Good topsoil. Be good topsoil. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.